Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows and movies. My name is Tim Malloy. Hi, this is Deirdre McCarrick. And we're here to talk this week about Halston, the designer Halston, Roy Halston, who preferred to be known as just Halston, who is the subject of a wonderful new documentary from CNN Films called Halston. Pretty easy to remember. We are at the Sundance Film Festival where we saw it. Deirdre, would you like to describe our surroundings? Yes. So, I mean, we are in Park City, Utah, which is absolutely majestic mountain town. Um, You know, there's skiers abounding and it's really picturesque. We, however, are in a a lobby of sorts in in a hotel. So you may hear people, you may hear surround sound and bear with us. Large fights between families, very Mm -hmm. angry at each other, fighting over ski slope uh, tickets and things like that. There is a huge fireplace, though, so you may hear a crackling of fire, which is quite pleasant. We don't know what we're going to get. We're in the wild, surrounded by Utahns or people who are Utahns for a day. Um, We have guests this week, and we're going to roll tape of the interview with them, um, which was recorded in another open space, the CNN Films Lounge. Frederick Chang, the French director who previously directed Dior and I, and producer Roland Ballester, who has also worked on one of our favorite documentary series, 30 for 30. Love it. Spectacular. They were awesome. And we talked to them about Halston, the spectacular fashion documentary that takes us from Jackie Kennedy's pillbox hat through the Studio 54 era of 1970s New York, the excesses of 1980s Wall Street, and finally the AIDS epidemic. It has incredible sweep, electric energy, and the main thing I look for in movies nowadays, it's exhilarating. Um, One of the rules of this podcast is we don't talk about stories that are already in development somewhere. We're kind of bending that rule this time. First, because I didn't realize that there was a TV show about Halston coming soon starring Ewan McGregor. It doesn't really matter, though. There are so many Halston stories and so many colorful Halston characters um, in this documentary. So many people who they could go into. We think it's just a gold mine of story ideas or a gold LeMay mine. Nice. In keeping with the peak era of Halston's success. Did you actually think that was nice or are you just making fun of me? I think that it was kind of funny. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with Gold LeMay as a general rule. I I love it. I wish people still dress like that. You love it? Really? Yeah. The cool thing about the 70s, and the documentary really gets into this, is I didn't understand that Halston is really the guy who created, like, the form-fitting clothes and dresses that the 70s were known for. They accentuated, like, the actual human body as opposed to really structured things that were previously popular, like, very aggressive, I guess. Um, Can you explain it? Yeah, I mean, I think he did something, it's called like the one seam, which he was kind of the forefather of, or at least one of them, where he created these dresses that had one seam. So they kind of fit around the body really, really well and beautifully. Um, He did a lot in jersey cotton, which was kind of just a a less than forgiving fabric, but it really was just about the woman's body, and it was less about the clothing itself. So he was kind of uh, a trailblazer in that way. And ultra suede was another of the materials he used? He did. He created the ultra suede dress, shirt dress. Um, Us working women are familiar with the shirt dress. And he created this ultra suede version that was blazing hot and sold out everywhere. So, um, but I don't actually think that's the coolest thing he did. I don't know if you're going to touch on that. We're going to touch on so many cool things that he did. And some of the cool characters who we're going to meet on this journey include Liza Minnelli, uh, Halston's niece, Leslie Froick, who I think at one point was kind of eyed to take over the empire. And a guy named Victor Hugo, uh, Halston's lover and a source of chaos in his otherwise very choreographed life. Um, We should mention that soon after this interview, the film sold its theatrical distribution and home entertainment rights to the studio formerly known as The Orchard. They are changing their name 
And as of right now, I don't know what it's going to be. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, anything, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about movies we've seen at Sundance that we really liked and what movies about Halston we would like to see. But let's roll into that interview. So we are here with Frederick Chang, director of the new film, Halston. Uh, also, Roland Ballister, the produ- one of the producers of the film. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having us. It's an honor. So we're at the Sundance Film Festival. For people who have always wanted to know this but were afraid to ask, can you explain kind of how Sundance works? How it works? It's my first time here. I have no idea how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, you bring the film, and yes. then people will see the film and decide whether they want to purchase it for distribution? Uh, there's a lot of that. I mean, we're lucky because we have uh, a lot of the distribution in place already. We're uh, produced by CNN Films, which is I'm really happy about because they're they're having a fantastic year with yeah. like RBG and Three Identical Strangers, and then uh, we already have like streaming uh, in place with Amazon as well. So uh, we'll be announcing probably a theatrical um, in the near future. So between theaters and Amazon, unlike some of the films at Sundance people who aren't at the festival will be able to see this one very soon. Yeah, within the uh, uh, within this year, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> what attracted you to the story of Halston? Who is Halston? Halston is uh, the iconic American designer who um, was, it's hard to imagine now uh, how big he was in the 70s. Um, unfortunately, his legacy has been a little bit uh, tarnished by the corporate takeover that took his brand away from him in the early 80s. But he dressed um, Liza Minnelli. I mean, he was best friends with Liza Minnelli, Elizabeth Taylor, Bianca Jagger, and um, a true American genius who sort of put American fashion on the map. He's a young man from Iowa, maybe the last place you expect someone, <laughs> yeah, um, a last place you expect him to be from when he ends up in Studio 54 at the height of all of the 70s glamour, mm-hmm. the height of, I guess, Am I pronouncing this right? The gold LeMay dresses? Yeah, he was, I mean, he, his dresses were perfect for Studio 54. They were very, um, um, how do you say, it? they worked with the body in a way that clothes didn't at the time because French couture was very uh, constrictive and like very constructed and, um, and um, it was all about sort of putting a cage on the body. He, his clothes were minimalist uh, all about the drape and the cut, um, and they were perfect for the 70s, which was all about body showing, embracing the body, you know? Yeah. How does a boy from Iowa end up in New York in the middle of all of this? Well, that's a classic American story of self-invention. I mean, he was really all about um, moving forward and pushing forward, and uh inventing himself at every stage of his career and and he arrived in New York he it's not like he was an instant star he worked um, um, the system like a pro like in the 60s you know working at Bergdorf which was the the um, it still is like you know the world-class stop for for fashion and uh, and really building his brand slowly with like doing Jackie Onassis Jackie Kennedy at the time um, um, he did the hat for the inauguration um, in 1961. So, um, you know, he he worked 
very hard, very discreetly. And then in 1968, he starts his own brand, and that's a complete departure from Bergdorf. It's young, it's edgy, it's underground, and he, um, and most importantly, it's uh, it's it's simple. It's like that 70s feeling already, you know. And Roland, did I hear that you had a connection with the Halston family? I do. I'm friends with Halston's niece and nephew. And through them, I started to talk a little bit more about the Halston story. And at first, like most people, you think it's a very simple story. But then you begin to realize it's a very complicated story. And once I started to, once we started to discuss more and find out more about his business, that's what really attracted to me and me to the story. And it was perfect to find Fred who had the same attraction from that angle. And from there it was, you know, their introduction was, their introductions were very helpful to certain people in the film. But we took those introductions and then we found many people on our own. We just built it from there. Mm -hmm. uh, we've just been joined by my co-host, Deirdre McCarrick, who is a huge fan of fashion. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so this becomes at some point a story of money and of kind of a beautiful vision being corrupted by money. And I wonder if there's sort of a parallel with disco. Um, disco starts off as very black and very gay mm -hmm. and eventually is sort of taken over by the mainstream and loses a little bit of its magic. Um, did something similar happen with Halston? I think it's... Possibly there are some parallels, but I don't know that much about the story of disco, but um, it's different in the sense that um, I don't see um, Halston as being... Um, all the ideas that he had that I contributed to his downfall, like, for example, doing a, a mass market um, collection for J.C. Penney in 1982, it was announced, in 1983 it, was, it premiered, was you know a lot of people said was his, his downfall but if you look at it from today's point of view everyone's doing that it's become the norm and um, he had a vision that people were just not ready for and and it was just a perfect storm with the corporate um, um, sort of the corporate structure of America changing at the time with Ronald Reagan coming into office uh, and deregulating the financial markets you start seeing a lot of um, uh, conglomerates and a lot of um, hostile takeovers. And it's not really about building growth, it's about the bottom line and sort of uh, the quick sort of a speculation on companies, not necessarily thinking about growth, about jobs, about uh, creativity. And uh, you know, that's unfortunately, in my opinion, something that we still s we're still living in today um, uh, this world where finance just rules everything, and Halston was caught in this in this whirlwind um, uh, at the at the at the origin of it, you know. And that's that's what really attracted me in the story is that you see the forces that shape the world that we live in today. Hi, it's nice Hi. to meet you. How are you? <laughs> nice um, to meet you. Well, just building on that point, I'm curious from your perspective now. Do you think Halston's intentions were true, and do you think he was ahead of his time? You know, when he he made the deal with J.C. Penney. I think his intentions were very pure. I mean, he. a lot of people were cynical at the time, saying he just wants the big check from JCPenney and he's selling out. But speaking to all of his teams and uh, the, the design assistants who work on the collection, that was not the case. He, he's a 
I've never seen, I've never uh, heard of anyone working as hard as he did, and he really believed that anyone deserved to have a good design. And he was not doing it for the money. He was never. Do he ended up not poor, but he didn't end up like a multimillionaire. Um, and uh, he was doing it because he believed that he uh, that he wanted to dress America. And um, I th I think it, you know, f he loved his craft, and that was the that was the main thing. That's that's what I really relate to him in a strong way as as, as a creative person, you know. So um, I'm a huge Angelica Houston fan. I think <laughs> she's absolutely gorgeous, and I know she was a Halston model. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm curious who your favorite Halston muse was and why. Ah. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, I would have to say Liza Minnelli because she's yeah. such a huge inspiration for Halston. And when I did my research and, and got to talk to her, I really delved into her story, her career. And it's just that there's nothing like Liza Minnelli in 1972, then 73. The level of energy and openness and sort of winning sort of optimism is just it's so refreshing. Um, so we were fortunate to be able to interview her. And um, of course, there are other muses. I mean, Pat Ast is also one of my favorite because she was an Andy Warhol superstar, but she was also a plus size model. And, and Halston dressed her um, uh, and made her look so glamorous and was very vocal about wanting to dress every woman, not just a model who's slim, but every woman in America. And um, and he did it, and he, he you know actions speak louder than words. He he really just did it. At a time then that wasn't popular at all. That wasn't. I mean, it wasn't um, something that you saw on the runway. But he put her on the runway at every show. You know. Roland, do you have a favorite Halston muse? I have to uh, support Fred Odliza. I mean, <laughs> no, no, it's true because it's not just a professional relationship with them as we did the research and we got to know Liza. I mean, the level of their friendship is astoundingly deep. And it's one of the, m it's one of the most beautiful friendships I've seen in my life. And that's, that's being honest. Because when you talk to Liza and you see her, the way she lives her life, Halston is such a big part of it. And her loyalty to him, it's very touching. And not just, Fred talked about the, the wonderful creativity that she had and exuberance that she had in 1972 when their relationship was probably at its zenith, but also the sh level of talent. And, you know, we l that was, we're living in a day, I think, a day and age right now where talent is not necessarily the one or it's not necessarily the top thing that, you know, famous people have or people in the, in the spotlight. But in that era, nobody had the talent of Halston and nobody had the talent of Liza. And together, it's a wonderful combination. So it's so interesting because when I when I think initially of Halston, I think of that you know quote around him about less is more, you know, and he was so refined initially. And when I think Liza Minnelli, I think more is more, right? <laughs> so I'd love to hear your perspective on why that friendship worked so well. Well, I mean, more is more, but you, when you think of Liza Minnelli, what do you think about? You think about this amazing face, the ex expression of um, you know, life on her face and the way she conveys feelings through song and performance. And so Halston was very smart because he was always about, he was not about attracting attention to his designs. He was all about making sure that face and, the, and, those, and that incredible body was able to shine on stage 
Yeah, and so it was always very simple, very making her as glamorous as possible. And, you know, something that worked for the stage, too. I mean, you know, he did, like, off stage, on stage. He did both, you know, for her. You're with CNN Films, and one thing we've seen happen with a lot of CNN Films is that they become feature films after their documentaries. I I don't know how you improve Three Identical Strangers, but they're (laughs) going to try. Um, This seems like, I know that you have some elements, some dramatizations in this film, Mm -hmm. but it also seems like just a magnificent biopic about, you know, someone who comes from, comes to New York with the purest of intentions and hits the highest highs, and then Wall Street gets involved, and Mm -hmm. things don't go so well. Yeah. Can you see this as a feature film? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, the story is so vast and so epic, and you could cha- you could take just any part of the story and make a feature film. You, you have several feature films in there. Um, I think when we, when we started the documentary, that's what became so inspiring, was that how do you get all these different aspects into one documentary? And so I was interested in sort of pushing the envelope a little bit, and, and, and um, fiction allowed me to, to go in many different directions. And I mean, one of the, the big influence for me was Citizen Kane, which you know, I'm sure is uh, you know, everyone's favorite film. Yeah. But it, w- it really gave me an example of how you could treat a, uh, a portrait um, in a... In a kaleidoscopic way instead of just having okay this is how he was born this is how he died and everything in between uh halston's story was just full of mystery and myth and and so it was like i'm interested in having several points of view collide and clash and like and being on an investigation about like who was halston and are we going to find a rosebud or something that Mm. explains like his life or not and so that's how we we came up with you know, I started writing a script around that and, and creating this fictional character who's an investigator who t- takes us, she's an archivist, and she takes us down this lane of just um, trying to find out who Halston was behind the images, you know. And, um, and she's played by Tavi, which she's is... She's played by Tavi Gevinson, who uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of. And uh, I like her because she's in fashion, but she's also outside of fashion, and she thinks much bigger... Um, and um, she represents this new generation also that doesn't necessarily know about Halston, about all of his achievements. And uh, so she was a perfect sort of mirror for the audience and for mm-hmm. me also. And, and she's, just, um, she's just a brilliant writer. So I, I, I just like everything about her. You know. So for casting this, you're sort of halfway there. If you made this a feature, mm-hmm. she could take that role on again. Right, <laughs> we could. <laughs> I know there's something you're dying to ask. Which? Oh, yeah. Do you, have you given any thought to um, who might cast in this role? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that we, we would, um, how we would approach, you know, a feature film. I think, you know, it's like, that's another discussion that, we can definitely talk about how we casted um, this documentary. I mean, not only the scripted, and we talked about Tavi and why she was just so perfect for the role, but also just the choice of, like, not having Halston in the film, because that presented itself. It was like, when people, when I was telling people, I want to do some scripted scenes, they're like, who's playing Halston? I'm like, it never crossed my mind that somebody should play Halston (laughs) in the documentary. When you have Halston in archival footage, and he looks so 
impressive and uh, he created this whole persona. I couldn't imagine competing with that with like an actor playing him. So it was clear from the beginning that I he was going to be off screen or he was going to be like not in the scripted. Um, because I think also it reflected like the, um, y you know, he was this mythical figure in 1983 that pe very few people had access to and he was hiding be behind his sunglasses and to get an interview with him was just trying to get to Pope John, as, as Joyo says in the film. And, and, and so there was this inaccessibility of Halston. And, and, and so I started playing with that, like how this archivist is trying to get to know him without actually meeting him, but just through the images that he left behind and that he created. And um, so, yeah, that's how we casted the film. And then when you do a documentary, of course, you can call it casting, but you have to cast actually who's going to talk about Halston. And um, it was important for me to not focus just on the stars. I mean, we had to get Liza Minnelli and we worked very hard on seducing her and making sure she would be part of it. But I didn't want it to be just the fame factor of people, just because they're famous, they might not have such a relationship with Halston, but they would look good on, in a, on a roaster or something. It was never my approach. I've, I've never really thought like that. And it was more important for me to get, um, you know, the secretary who saw him every day and had this like very close bond and who loved him like no one else, or to get the business manager who um, ousted Halston in 1984, or all these people who can tell the compelling story, you know, not just say fluff stuff about like how famous he was or something, you know. And is that the process? It's interesting to think about casting a documentary. Um, yeah. Is that the process? Do you kind of start with your wish list and your dream list and then yeah. go, go get them? Absolutely. We had like a big and board. how did you woo Liza Minnelli? I want to <laughs> hear this. <laughs> well, Roland can talk about yeah. this. <laughs> well, first of all, when you're, there are different levels of casting. There are some people that you know would love to participate. You come up with your list. First of all, you have to do the research. You have to do deep, deep research, not just casual research, deep research. And doing the deep research, you start to find out the not famous names, such as the finance manager who did XYZ, for example. So you come up with the list, and then you try to figure out who's, who are relatively s easy to get. That's fine. Those are the f that makes you feel good. And some people, you know, Liza and many others like that, you just don't call them up and say, be in this film you have to realize that this is a very personal thing for them. It's very intimate, so you have to respect that. They have to, you have to build a level of trust. Like, why would they talk to you? And what are you gonna do with it? So you have to overcome that. So yes, you have to know the gatekeepers to them, but that's just part of the equation. It's, that's just the easy way. You really have to build the trust and to prove to them that you will honor what they have to say and how they're presented. But you have to do it in a way that doesn't whitewash anything that, you know, caters to their whims that you're serving them as opposed to the film. You have to serve the film, but you have to realize all subjects deserve respect, and you treat everyone equally as well. Yeah. Well, this film, as I started off saying, is the, the genesis of this is I have a personal friendship with Halston's niece and nephew. And his niece, Leslie Froick, in particular, she lived with him, she worked with him, she wrote a wonderful book about him. She knew his circle very well, the people he liked. 
that were close to him. So through Leslie, she was also the big validator of this project to a certain level of people. So through Leslie, we were able to meet some of the people, particularly the models, for example, the Halstonettes. And once you get to know them, build that trust relationship, then they start opening other doors. But that's only part of it. You just don't want the people who are on the things were good side. You have to find people who are on the things weren't so good side. And that's where you have to do investigation. And you find people in various ways. You just, you become a detective. I will find you. And there were some people that dropped out. Nobody knew who they were, where they were. I found them. And that was a big fun. That was a big thrill. Talking about the good side and the not so good side, can you just describe what kind of person he was to the extent that you can explain any individual's character? I mean, we're all complex. Well, uh, I would bring it back to Susan Cain again. I mean, I feel like it, you can, you can. That's what attracted me about the the portrait of Halston is that he was not a simple person to talk about. There were many. Um, there was a period in the late 70s, early 80s when things went down with the business that didn't allow him to be the sort of affable, sort of um, great person that he was in the early 70s when he was on the rise and he was working with all these, all these models of color and plus size models. And he's, you know, unfortunately, he was under siege and um, there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of drug use. Um, um, and. Um, there was a lot of abuse also at the office because it was a very stressful situation. So it was important for us to show all of that. And, um, but to put it in context of the origin story of who he was in the late 60s and how um, he built this brand. And, and to, it's not just like behavior, you know, it's, I mean, it's classic sort of like he became too famous and then he lost it. But what was really important for me was to put it back in the context of what he was fighting for, and which was this, this, this brand and this craft that he had been building for like 20 years. He's one of many incredible artists and geniuses who we lose to HIV AIDS, mm -hmm. I believe in 1990. Yeah. At the age of 53. 57. 57, thank yeah. you. Um, but I, I don't know if this is a story about HIV and AIDS. I feel like that's one part of his life, but not. It, it's a really tragic way for his life to end, but I don't know if this is an HIV AIDS story. How do you handle... Well, I mean, I don't know. That's not really for me to say whether it's, it's definitely part of the story. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to talk about how it, we wanted to see it from the personal point of view. So we... We're lucky to have like Leslie Frowick, his niece, tell us very intimate details about how he broke the news to her and how she felt about it. And she painted the context of the era and how it was, you know, we brought in archival footage to show that it was uh, in fashion. It was a, it was a, a disaster. Every, uh, people were like Perry Ellis had died a few years before that. And the fashion brand was not saying that it was AIDS. There was a huge stigma. And so when Halston died, his family actually were very brave and sort of uh, came out and said it was AIDS. Wow. Um, you know, so that's, that was important for us to tell that story, you know. 
so I don't know you, you want to call it an aid story or not, but it's it was part of the Halston story. You know? I just mean in the sense that there are so many films that are kind of about the disease more than being about an individual person, and it's just one element of his life that yeah. shouldn't define him, but I do think it's really heroic yeah. of his family to help remove some of the stigma mm -hmm. at a time when people really weren't doing that. Yeah, it was very important. Yeah. Um, I just love talking about this. I find this whole era just exhilarating and his life incredible and I love looking at the incredible art that he made was it just thrilling to make this from beginning to end or was it <laughs> you got, you, we kind of only get to see the happiness and don't get to see you know the hard it's, work of the misery it's, it's, it's I mean we do this because it's thrilling yes for sure it's thrilling and as Roland said it was like being a detective most of the time it was like I was we had like thousands of pages of legal memos like uh, detailing what happened you know between the corporation and him and I was determined to find out like who was lying when and who was who had really slighted the other and stuff so it was it was fascinating but then you know it's it's uh it's also a film and it's incredibly hard to pull together and they're like you, you you know there are like setbacks and then big victories I mean it's just it's 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 part of why we do this. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think it's so interesting that you had um, Halston's niece working with you, or at least kind of participating. Was there anything that you guys as detectives uncovered that she didn't know about? Oh, yeah. She didn't know. <laughs> she didn't know much. I mean, she joined the brand in 1983. She wrote a book about Halston, so she knows a lot about Halston. But uh, she didn't know many of the... I mean, she was surprised to see the archival footage we, we found of him in the late 60s and all these photographs and everything, and she hadn't, I mean, she she was very moved. She couldn't stop uh, really um, crying when she first saw the film because it, it's, it's that whole part of his life that she wasn't part of and that she she was discovering, like, live, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. No, it's kind of like when you see your parents' like wedding video. Exactly. You're like, you were people before me? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very cool. We just want to thank you so much. Do you have any closing thoughts or? Um, well, um, what what clothing so thoughts? I mean, Liza. Again, going back to Liza, she's always uh, on my mind when I think about what I want people to walk away with because she th sings um, this song, "Say Yes," which is actually called "Yes," I think, um, in the f in the middle of the film. And for me, if there is a rosebud, that is the rosebud. It's um, it's all about. It's a song about saying yes to life and not being afraid to sort of push forward and try things that people have never done before. And, you know, she says the lyrics are uh, like, nothing's gained if nothing's tried. And, um, and to me, that's kind of a key, um, you know, lesson of Halston's life. It's like he tried, he tried over and over again and he was the first of doing the corporation thing. He was the first to do the mass market thing. He was the first to, you know, use plus size models and all of that. And, you know, it's remarkable. We haven't even talked about the Sister Sledge song. He's the greatest dancer. <laughs> where he actually gets well, name checked in a song <laughs> when he's like still out working. I know. We didn't we didn't use that <laughs> song, but we, there was so many disco. Disco is tricky because it, there's just like so many associations with it. And from the get go, I, I, 
we didn't want it, that was the least appealing part of the Halston story for us because it's the most visible and it's the, the, the one that takes all the room. You know, it's like him at Studio 54 and cocaine and everything. And it's definitely part of the film. We're not whitewashing his story at all. But, um, but it's a small part of, uh, you know, his epic life. Okay, we're back. You've heard the interview. Now we're going to talk about some of the films about Halston that we would like to see in addition to the Ewan McGregor series. Maybe the Ewan McGregor series, we'll get into these, um, but all of these are so deep and so rich that we think they could totally be films of their own. Um, Deirdre, do you want to start us off? Sure. I mean, I think what's interesting about Halston, you know, is that he, he, he was around for, you know, 20, 30 years and his life his fashion life had many incarnations. And so there's so many little slices that we could pick from yeah. um, to focus on. So um, one that I found really, really interesting was his relationship with Victor Hugo. You know, yeah. I think we learn about Halston is that he's incredibly controlled, yeah. if not controlling, yeah. and um, had a very particular point of view yeah. and controlled everyone around him. Um, you know, and, and that's why he, he was so successful in part. And yet he dated this man for 15 years who was a, a complete wild card. I mean, in, in the film we see that he actually gets, uh, Andy Warhol paints a portrait of him <laughs> and he destroys it. Was he, it a portrait of him or was it just a portrait? No, it was a portrait of him. Of you, Like, if I had a portrait of myself by, by Andy, Andy Warhol, Warhol, yeah, 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 I wouldn't be like... Punching a hole in it. He paints over it to make it better and punches holes in it. Yeah, he thinks he can improve on an Andy Warhol, and then he punches a hole in it. So he's a total chaos agent. And Andy's not happy about that either. Yeah, Andy's like, I'm not doing a do-over for you, Victor Hugo. Yeah, so I would love to see the dynamics of their relationship play out. I think that in and itself could be an interesting film. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know who plays Victor Hugo. I mean, he's not really that well-known, so I guess you could kind of cast that wide open. Um, but... Let's talk about who should play Halston. I mean, the whole time I was looking at Halston, I kept thinking, God, this guy looks like Phil Hartman from Saturday Night Live. Um, and the reason I thought that is because I realized Phil Hartman used to do the Halston character. Oh, no way. And I had no idea who Halston was. Interesting. Um, I just knew it was a funny Phil Hartman character that I assume was made up. Um, but no, F uh, Phil Hartman's Halston was my introduction to the real Halston. And they do look a little bit alike. It's true. Um, you, you know who else Halston really looks like? And you and I already talked about this, but um, he's no longer uh, eligible to play the, the part, but he looks incredible, so much like Peter O'Toole circa yeah. Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Like down to the, the golden tan. It's insane. They really look yeah. tremendously alike. Um, we also mentioned Cody Fern. Yes. From another I think, fashion project. I think he would, he would be my first choice. I think he could really nail the part. He, of course, was in the assassination of Gianni Versace. Um, and could be very, very good in it. He does ha bear quite a resemblance to him. Um, he's a little bit younger than Halston is at sort of the peak of Halston's success when he was like in his 40s uh, in, in 1970s New York. But I'm reading a book about Marlon Brando, maybe one of the best actors ever. I don't, I'm not even going to say maybe. One of the best actors ever who um, said that you can play 20 years older, but you really can't play much younger. So I think you want to... Yeah, I think that's true. You want to go in beneath. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about Benedict Cumberbatch. Why not? Yeah, maybe. 
Um, and Army Hammer. I think Army Hammer would also be quite good. Yeah. It's, it's tempting to just want to put him in everything because he'd be good at a lot of different things. He definitely plays that kind of like refined gentleman, which is definitely kind of Halston's um, persona to a certain extent. But he's playing against it because the movie I saw last night when you had to go to sleep, um, I saw the midnight showing of his new movie, Wounds. To be fair, I didn't have to go to sleep, quote unquote. I didn't want to go see a horror movie at, at midnight. midnight. Fair, fair. It was a really scary horror movie. Which it, is why I didn't want to see it it's at called, midnight. It's called Wounds. It featured a lot of wounds. It features a lot of uh, insects. It features a lot of roaches. Um, and things get grosser from there. Army Hammer is really good in it because he's playing a total like down on his luck, average Joe, like dropout, who's running, basically re- not even running, working in a dive bar. Um, so that, that was cool. And I think he'd be a great Halston if he wants to switch back to his sort of normal refined mode. Um, yeah. So another possibility that we talked about would be a movie just about him and his niece, um, Leslie Froelich, who was featured prominently in the documentary and who we got to talk to a little bit while we were here. Yeah, um, and she, she's really interesting because she lived with Halston for a time in New York, in New yeah. York City, in his spectacular home, <laughs> which was really, he refers to it as a sculpture um, in the documentary, and it really is just that. It, it's really magnificent. Um, and it's still there, actually, on, I think in the 60s in Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan. Um, so she came and lived with him and was really a firsthand witness to uh, his life, both as a niece and kind of just as someone who was, a, am sure, a fan of his work. Yeah, and the movie suggests that she may have been being eyed to sort of take over the family business at some point. Um, corporate America had other ideas. But she is kind of just like this really endearing like niece, but also kind of like a kid sister type who's like always there around him, supporting him, trying to help him, and cares about the human Halston, not just the designer Halston. So I think that's a really nice dynamic, and that could be a great movie. Um, we talked about a couple of different people who could play her, including... Maybe Elle Fanning. Awesome. I think maybe she could do it. Yeah. She could be great. And yet another Halston dynamic that we think is totally worth exploring, and I'd be shocked, honestly, if the Ewan McGregor show doesn't get into this, is the relationship with his best friend, Liza Minnelli. So they were clearly thick as thieves, and she's featured quite prominently in the documentary. And um, they were so close in that she actually refuses to say anything negative about him in the documentary. There's a moment where um, she's quite vulnerable and just says, like, he was my best friend, and I I can't say anything, you know, negative. And I think that's a testament to how close they were because it was, you know, what, 20, 30 years after his passing. Yeah. So um, I, I, and I, I, uh, she also played a, a pretty pivotal role in um, the Battle of Versailles, which was a, a, another really spectacular moment for Halston. So I would love to see that that played out. Uh, yeah, Ava DuVernay is making a movie about the Battle of Versailles, and that is going to be ridiculous. That's a great story. If you want to learn more about it, definitely see that movie when it comes out, or check out an episode of the Nod podcast called Chitlins at Bergdorf's. Really, really good, and obviously enough room there for a movie of its own. Um, the last... Oh, casting. You had some great ideas for who could play Liza Minnelli. Yeah, I mean, when you see Liza Minnelli when she's younger, in particular, it, you it's impossible not to draw comparisons to Lady Gaga. It's, huh. it, it, I think they're, she would do a fantastic job. Um, I also thought someone like Rooney Mara could actually probably pull it off. I was, I was, I'm still surprised by her role in... Um, 
the uh, girl with the dragon tattoo and how well she pulled that off. So yeah. I'd almost like to see that f- her flex hmm. um, and play Eliza. Yeah, and the story I kind of most want to see um, is the story of the very strange dynamic between Charles James and Halston. Charles James is kind of a mentor to Halston. He's one of these very structured, formal designers. Um, Halston is obviously a much a, a designer who emphasizes... Less is more. Yeah, and so they're kind of at loggerheads. At one point, Charles James is out of fashion a bit, literally and figuratively, sorry. Um, and Halston brings him to work for him, and it turns out to be a disastrous meeting. Um, Charles James will go on to call Halston basically a plagiarist, which is crazy and feels a little bit bitter, honestly, because Halston is outshining him at this point. And it's especially, I think, um, confusing because Halston is on the record as citing Charles James as an inspiration and um, someone he admires. So. I don't know. Hard to be a plagiarist, I think, when you're just out outwardly acknowledging someone. Yeah, and taking and saying I'm taking influence from this person and improving on it. Right. Um, so the sort of the sort of shade war between the two of them is really interesting. I think Halston is tr- kind of trying to keep it classy, um, and James is people in the '70s. I don't know had a real gift for saying terrible things about each other in a very diplomatic sounding way, and so there'd be a lot of that in this movie. Um, I think it would be like Phantom Menace meets The Favorite. Phantom Menace? I think it'd be like Phantom Thread meets The Favorite. Wow. Okay. The second consecutive week we've talked about Phantom Menace. I know, but I didn't bring it up in either t- instance, just for the record. Also, for the record, I don't like The Phantom Menace. You could have fooled me <laughs> and everyone. Um, real quick, before we go, anything you saw at Sundance that you just thought was totally awesome that you think people should check out? We actually saw quite a few really great films um, this weekend, but um, I'd have to, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Hail Satan. And this is coming from an Irish Catholic gal. It was awesome. I mean, it's really funny. It completely subverts expectations. It's not at all what you think it is about. Um, And I was so impressed. Um, We saw the director and kind of the lead um, interviewee, um, the, leads, the head of the temple, who the happens to temple. be the head of the Satanic Temple, um, at a Q and A after, and I, I was just so impressed with them and um, their commitment to this story, and it's really, really unique point of view. So yeah. I, that really opened my eyes, and I thought it was, I thought it was fun to see. That was also my favorite movie that we saw. Um, I also really liked I Am Mother, which was really cool, a cool sci-fi movie that's sort of about motherhood and parenting, but kind of about much, much more. Uh, very surprising, really cool turn. But just great acting all around, but uh, Hilary Swank is really very interesting, kind of playing an almost, I don't want to say homage, but kind of a uh, Charles James to Halston um, with Linda Hamilton. In, in the yeah, Terminator. I think if you're a fan of Terminator, I think obviously Blade Runner, which is the one you can't really ignore, yeah. um, you, you'll, you'll absolutely enjoy it. Yeah, it really nicely plays, pays homage to those movies. Mm-hmm. And if you love those movies like we do, you'll really like this. Um, of course, Halston. And I mentioned uh, Wounds was very interesting. And, and the other one we saw, too, that I, I thought was super interesting was Relive. Oh, yeah. Um, which is kind of a... Um, I, I think the best way I would say it, I could describe it as like, I wanted to see it again yeah. after we saw it because I wanted to 
it's one of those films that you need to, you almost want to see a couple times just to kind of make sure you got you got it right you figured it out yeah um, and you got to be paying attention this isn't one where you need to, you you're sitting on your laptop folks or you got your iPad out yeah you need to be paying attention um, and some really great performances in that movie too Storm Reed the little girl from she's Wrinkle really time, great is awesome in it um, David Oyelowo is awesome in it the script is really just you can see like how much math went into it to make to make it make sense and look easy for the viewer. Um, because it's a very complicated story about a, a uncle and niece connected um, even after death via cell phone. Right. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that we saw a bunch of eye-opening films this weekend. Yeah, it was awesome. Want to go get pancakes? Uh, yes.